What if something terrible happens? Great way to open a podcast, I know, but we're living in these times where we just walked through a global pandemic, our world is at war, and we can't help but think of, oh my gosh, worst case scenario, what if, what if? But my guest today, Nicole Zazowski, is a licensed family and marriage therapist, and she changes the question on its head. If what if something terrible could happen, then maybe that means what if something amazing can happen too? Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I was your typical heartbroken and hungover sorority girl who looked for love in boys, Bacardi, and did I mention boys? After the breakup that broke me, I met the only man who can truly fulfill me. His name is Jesus. Shortly after that, I met my husband, the best example I have met of Jesus on this earth. Today, I have never been more sure I am right where I'm supposed to be on a mission to help today's young women find their life calling, stop dating dirtbags, and basically just be who I needed when I was younger. I've been called a big sis, an adopted mom, or my favorite title, a cool aunt. But however you think of me, get ready to be challenged and encouraged. This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Hey friends, this is Katie and this is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Today, we are going to talk about what if it's wonderful. My guest, Nicole Zazowski, offers a compelling psychological and spiritual case for the importance of bracing joy and celebration in her new book, What If It's Wonderful. We can all get caught in the fear cycle of what if terrible things happen, but what if wonderful things can happen too? I can't wait to talk about it. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Oh, thanks for having me, friend. I'm really happy to be here. Yes. Tell me where you are geographically. We are in Connecticut, just outside New York City. So it's this tiny little beach town on the Long Island Sound. And it's this juxtaposition because we are really not very far from New York City, but it you wouldn't know that if you looked out my window. <laughs> nice. Okay, that's so you can go to the city and still off see the beautiful, like, you know, yes. water and everything. I love it. Yes. Okay, so tell me a little bit about you, the background. Yeah, so I'm a mom of three little ones, which is a miracle. If you uh, know my story, we struggled with a long season of infertility and chronic loss through miscarriage. I can't believe it, but we moved here 10 years ago, which was a really tough move for me. The beginning of a season, I would largely characterize by change and loss and yeah, a lot of my 20s were letting go of what I thought I wanted to receive what would actually set me free. Oh, and right there. yeah, uh, a lot of misplaced hope and props to my faith fell away when my life started going in a different direction than I thought it would, starting with we were living in California and somewhat suddenly moved out to Connecticut for my husband's job. So, and then a lot of chronic loss, a lot of waiting and longing and yeah, and those props to my faith and that misplaced hope falling away really allowed me to reintroduce myself to Christ in a or Christ reintroduced himself to me, I should say, in a different way than I had known him before, even though I had been a Christian my whole life, grew up in a really solid family and a faith-centered home. And it's a faith that has grown over time. And yet I didn't realize that my identity and security were very much invested in other things. So 
Okay. So you are literally cross country move. Yep. Which is, I read somewhere that some of the biggest stressors in life are a big move, a death in the family, going to war. All of those are like yes. equivalent. As far yes. As like yes. On top of that, walking through several miscarriages around the mm-hmm. same time, I'm assuming. So yep. obviously you walk through some junk. Tell mm-hmm. me about healing process and then now the mm-hmm. book. Yeah. So, you know, I thought when I reflected on that season, I assumed that the cost was you know, the loss itself and its impact to my feelings of identity and sense of safety. But what I didn't understand at the time was its impact to my joy. I, you know, receiving joy became a really scary experience for me. So I started, you know, entering, I don't think any of our seasons are all pain or all joy. I think life is usually a combination of both. But, you know, seasons lean in one direction or another. And we started entering a season that felt different where, you know, we obviously were able to receive our three children into our home and just had a season that was more characterized by breakthrough and peace and joy. And I couldn't trust it. I had a very hard time celebrating because I was so sure it was going to be taken away. I refused to look at any kind of delight or joy because I assumed if I kept my expectations low that I could protect myself from disappointment. So I was very pessimistic, very, you know, cynical because it felt safe. But what I didn't realize was that I was not only not protecting myself from disappointment because we're human beings and not robots and we're still going to have feelings in response to pain, but I was protecting myself from a lot of delight and a lot of opportunities to connect with God and the people around me. I was also afraid to embrace joy because unknowingly, I had a great picture for what it looked like to connect with Christ in my pain. I feel like the church in general has done a better job of helping us understand what it looks like to connect with Christ in times of suffering, even if we're confused or don't understand or have all the answers. And, you know, I think that's a human thing, too, where we're more aware of our need for Christ when we're walking through something hard. You know, what what knocks you off your feet will bring you to your knees, so to speak. But I felt really sad when I realized as I entered this joy or received this beautiful gift, like one of my children, I had no picture of what it looked like to celebrate with God in that moment, to engage with God in my joy. And we need him just as much, a hundred percent of the time. And yet I think a lot of us operate like Christ is walking us to our place of arrival or to our place of joy. And then saying, have fun. Let me know when you need me again. Yeah. And so part of me felt hesitant to walk into joy because I wasn't sure what it looked like to lean on God and have that intimacy with Christ in the light of my joy. You are so right. And you spoke on so many real things because, I mean, you're right. We, we think that God is there when we have something bad and how sad that it's more common than I realize that we're afraid to experience joy because what if it's taken away from us? Or what if, I don't know, what if we think God's not there in the joy? So 
I love that you are talking about this. You are a therapist as well, correct? Yes. Tell me about that journey. When did that start and how that related to your own process of healing? Yeah. So I was a sophomore in college and studied abroad that whole year. That's sort of how my college did the study abroad thing. Most, I think 70% of sophomores went away their entire sophomore year. And the setup was we were living in a house with 50 other college students from our same school. So we knew each other going into the program and of course became a lot closer over the course of that year when you are living with 50 (laughs) other college students. And we also had a faculty family living with us for that year as well. And, you know, we're 19, 20, we're doing so much learning and growing as one does in those years. And we're far away from home. It's sort of just before technology really took off. So it was harder to communicate with people back in the States. And unknowingly, I just, I loved having these deep conversations and helping my friends process. And I was doing a lot of processing myself because we were all removed enough from our supports back home where we had to kind of confront some things in different ways that year. And the wife from that faculty family, she happened to be the head of the psychology department at our school. And at the end of the year, she put, it was like literally the last day we were, we were in Germany. And last day we were there, she pulled me aside and she said, are you sure you don't want to be a therapist? <laughs> and it was like a, a light bulb went on and God really used her in that moment. To this day, she swears. I don't know why I said that. I have a policy. I never say that to students. <sighs> But I'm really grateful she did because I kind of never looked back. I went straight into my master's program after college, loved the work. I've been doing it, oh goodness, about 12 years. Really, really love my work. Most of it takes place in a private practice in Connecticut. And then a few times a year, I will do marriage intensives in different parts of the country with group marital therapy, about four or five couples with a co- me and a co-therapist for four days. Wow. So yeah, intense is a good word for it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So you right out of college started, you know, your becoming a therapist journey. Yep. I'm curious as you had your own come to Jesus journey. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. No, I mean, that's a great phrase. <laughs> you know, you perhaps know a lot of these therapy terms or whatever. I just think it's so interesting that knowing better doesn't always mean we behave better. And not that I'm sure you had the tools perhaps to understand what we were going through, but I guess how did your therapist brain walk yourself mm-hmm. through all of that? Yeah, no, I say my first book, which is called From Lost to Found and really outlines that journey. I say it was me discovering for myself what I knew to be true for my clients. So you're absolutely right. I had the framework. I knew, I even knew what my pain points were, you know, in terms of feeling my big ones are are not good enough, rejected and alone. And so I had the whole framework mapped out in terms of what I tend to feel when I'm in pain, what I tend to do in response to that that's understandable but not helpful. <laughs> and I knew in my head the truth about those pain points and you know because there's a difference between feelings being real and feelings being true. They're absolutely real, but we they don't always tell us the truth about who we are and our safety and God's economy. So I knew the truth and I just struggled to put my weight on it. I was more interested in 
feeling good enough because someone else believed in me or feeling good enough because I worked hard. That was a big safety one for me too. Like I can make, can feel secure in my life if I just work hard enough and make it happen for myself. My, the beautiful life I imagine was very much built with my own dreams. And as C.S. Lewis said, we are far too easily pleased. So (laughs) yeah, I was way too fixated on my own vision. And I, and this is part of the second book too, I really missed a lot of God's provision and the beauty in that instead, because beauty to me looked one way. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk more about what we kind of started with that afraid to feel joy and that fear cycle of what if, what if, what if, and then Mm -hmm. switching it into the, but what if it's wonderful? Yeah. Uh, You know, was it a light bulb moment? Was it a process? Mm. What did that look like? No, it's a process and it's still going. (laughs) I said the other day that the, the message in that book changed my life. And I said, you know what? I need to say that differently. It's changing my life. This is, this is a, a practice for me. I think it will probably be that way for the rest of my life. And I would imagine anyone that reads it will feel the same way. I think there's been some shifts in my thinking, but really, like you said, putting my weight on it and practicing it is a whole nother journey. So I just, I felt it started with me feeling really grieved. I realized that I was missing my beautiful God-given life because I was so busy preparing for the worst. And it made me sad. I missed a lot of, I think the biggest cost that I can think of was just celebrating with my husband and my community. And like we talked about earlier, even God, I, I was just sad, not only what the loss cost me, but how I was just missing the delight that was happening in my days because I was too afraid to let myself go there. Brene Brown has this great term called foreboding joy. And we don't think of those two words as going together. (laughs) And, but she, her research is pretty clear that joy is actually the most vulnerable feeling we feel. And we assume that vulnerability is going to be accompanied by something unpleasant that we might feel, but it's actually joy because when we hold something, it automatically is accompanied by the possibility of losing it. And so it takes vulnerability to hold that gift, to hold that joy, to celebrate the good things that are going on in our lives because it is automatically accompanied with the possibility of disappointment. And so I just said, I'd rather not hold it. And I backed up from a lot of celebration and I refused to see a lot of joy and delight and I missed out on a lot. Interesting. I am so glad you wrote down, you mentioned Brene because I wrote her down right here in my notes because- Oh, good. I love her. And she said something very life-changing and I don't remember, I think it was one of her books, but what I gleaned from it, similar to what you were saying is in all of her research, you know, she'd research people where worst case scenario happened, you know, Mm -hmm. a terrible loss or house burning down or or like all these things that we fear lay in bed thinking about. She interviewed those people and not a single one said that worrying about it made them more prepared. So her takeaway was you're sitting there worrying about all these worst case scenarios. And meanwhile, forgetting your house isn't on fire. Your loved ones are not in the hospital. You are good and you are healthy and all is well. And we lose, as you said, we miss that joy fearing the worst. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so sad. Yes. And it, yeah, like I said, it doesn't, 
And like she said, it doesn't protect you from the disappointment. It just protects you from a lot of delight. So yeah, I, I that was sort of a shift for me is the grief of just realizing what that mentality has cost me. And then I just began to explore, okay, what does like this can't this can't be the case. It can't be the case that hardship is the only thing that shapes our lives and forms our hearts. Like it can't be the case that joy has nothing for us. I think in a lot of circles I grew up in, I don't assume this is the case for every church community or Christian community, but I think the discipline of celebration, I think other disciplines that we tend to think of as hard or holy (laughs) were really elevated above celebration. And so celebration was treated a bit like dessert, like nice to have, but not essential to the Christian life. And then I opened my Bible (laughs) and did all this research on joy in the neuroscience around it. And I realized, oh no, you know, Christ is moving through our joy. He's moving in our lives through celebration. He is shaping us into his likeness through delight and joy. And we can encounter him and have that same intimate relationship with him in the light of our joy as we do in the dark. And I started to get really excited about what would it look like to not only trust joy, but to engage with, because God is there. (laughs) And joy is the fruit of walking our painful, our sorrow and our celebration with Christ. You know, I think it would be a tragedy if somebody looked at the title, What If It's Wonderful and thought, oh, this is a book about, you know, choosing happy or that toxic positivity where we deny and dismiss painful feelings, and we try to draw silver linings on clouds. This is not that because hope absolutely acknowledges the cost. It's just about having eyes to see and name what is good along with what is hard and trusting that God is moving in those places too. Hey, Truth, for your 20s listener, you're my favorite person, so I made you some swag. We have some bright blue notebooks. They're really cute. They say truth for your 20s right there on the front. And if you follow me on social media, I hope you have seen my favorite product we have in my shop is the I Don't Date Dirtbags Tote. Yes, that is what it says. And I love the response. I have girls that have been tagging me on TikTok and Instagram, like sporting the totes. And they're like, yeah, if you get it, you get it. I don't date dirtbags. I love it. And truth for your 20s listeners get free shipping by using promo code free ship. So I made it easy for you. Wherever you are listening, you should be able to scroll up and there will be a link right there to shop. Make sure you use promo code free ship to get that discount. And oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see you sporting your truth for your 20s swag. I wonder if you could though walk us through some like practical because I mean, I think we all would say, yes, I don't want to miss out on my life from fear. Mm -hmm. But in a minute, you know, someone listening and myself included might have a, a fearful thought or an irrational something yes. stealing our joy. I'm sure, you know, reframing your mind and taking those thoughts captive is part of that process. But what does that look like for you? Yeah. So the last third of the book is super practical. I continue in in story and biblical application and, and neuroscience research as well. But 
I felt what you are, what you just uh, said very deeply, even within myself. Like, how do, what are the rhythms and practices that I need to cultivate in my own life to be able to move toward this? Because the research is pretty clear that practice is what makes the difference in our lives. We can have these aha moments. We can say, yes, I believe that's true. I trust that that's true. And then we've got to practice that peace and joy that we long to have. So I'll just name a few. Like I said, there's tons in that last third of the book. But uh, one of my favorites, and I made them all really doable. So I think we think celebration needs to be we picture confetti and big gatherings and having to be good at entertaining. Like None of it is that. There are beautiful celebrations that do include that. And that's great if that's your thing, but it doesn't have to look like that. So in our everyday lives, one of my favorites that would address what you were just talking about is savoring. So the practice of savoring celebrates the ordinary. And it just takes those everyday moments. Our brain is very efficient. It only likes to hang on to what it has to. It's a good energy conserver. So if we go through our day with errands and kind of mundane tasks, it is not going to record that information as important. But if we savor and the way that we do that is we ask our five senses what they're going to remember about this exact moment. So I will often do this when I'm holding my daughter, who's almost one. And I'm holding her and the light is really low and I feel her soft baby head fuzz under my chin and I smell that, you know, infant smell that they, we can't seem to bottle, but always smells so good. And I feel the weight of her on my chest and I hear her, I call them snuggle snorts, her deep breathing. And I have probably a taste of lingering coffee <laughs> that I've been nursing all day in my mouth. And that helps me record that moment in my brain as a joyful moment that I can return to. And my brain won't forget it when I've savored with my senses. And what motivates me to do that is you and I are going to live a lot of beautiful moments in our lives. Hopefully we're going to remember a lot of them, but none of them are going to be just like this one. And so that's what just, and that's true for any listener about today. None of your days are going to be this day. And so savoring those moments, and we can't do that all day long, but if we can do it maybe two to three times in our day, it helps us celebrate what's already happening. That's another thing I love about it is we think of celebration as we want a reason to celebrate, or we wake up hoping we have a reason to celebrate. But celebration doesn't just come on the far side of a goal achieved or a dream realized, can happen in what's already happening. Another practice that I love is the practice of Thanksgiving. So we can't walk into a boutique anymore, it seems like, without seeing some sort of gratitude journal or gratitude jar. And I'm so, I was going to say grateful. I'm so glad that gratitude is becoming a mainstream conversation and it does increase our joy because it helps us to see differently. All of the sudden, when we're forced to name something that we're grateful for that happened that day or wake up in the morning and what are we grateful for in this, mo- in this moment, it helps us think about it and it helps us name it. 
what thankfulness does is it doubles that joy by expressing the gratitude that we feel. So looking for opportunities to, this can happen in interpersonal human relationships, or it can happen with the giver of all gifts, God. So actually expressing our thanksgiving celebrates the gift with the giver. And it increases our joy because it's actually shared in relationship with God and with other people. So even in writing a thank you note, if you have the opportunity that would count as Thanksgiving because you are expressing it through writing, it takes it even a step further when you can share that face-to-face with somebody, whether you read it or you just share the essence of what's in the note to that person and you get to celebrate together what this person has meant in your life. It basically throws gasoline and just explodes that joy that we get from gratitude. So that's another favorite one. And then the last one I'll share is just the practice of rituals. You know, I I think Sabbath is a natural place to do this in your week, but it doesn't have to be. I think we often tend to focus on what we shouldn't do during Sabbath, like we shouldn't work or we shouldn't do things to get ahead on the week. We should rest. But I also think it's fun to think about what can we add to that day that makes it special. So whether it's a routine, whether it's something you add in terms of a meal, having the same meal every, most people celebrate on Sunday, but most every Sunday or My family will sometimes do these hot cross buns for communion just to make it like extra festive and yummy, (laughs) but it just, it adds something to the day or seeing certain friends every day of the week. I talked to one gal who does Mexican Mondays with her girlfriend. She's single and they just want to have that ritual set up so they have a place to connect with each other and talk about what's good and hard about their lives over Mexican food on Monday nights. So any sort of rhythm that our body can start to count on that after a while, the calendar will turn to Monday and you're, you know, you, you drive up to that same restaurant and you're meeting at that same time of day and you're seeing those same faces and it will cue your mind and heart to feel joy and to celebrate and to rest in that place. I just took a ton of notes. That was- Good. <laughs> I'm glad it was helpful. That was so helpful. I hope that everyone listening takes at least one of those. I wrote down savoring Thanksgiving. I didn't write a name for the last one. Was it just rhythms? Rituals. Rhythms, rituals. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just rhythms that. that your brain and heart can count on. Have you heard of Edie Wadsworth? Yes. Okay. Love her. She lives in uh, Tennessee area. And I I follow a lot of stuff that she does on, you know, social media. And she said something that made me think of, as you were talking, just a practice that everywhere she looks, she sees miracles. And that Mm. is just like you said, holding your baby, looking last night, it was uh, taking a walk. It was getting a little dark, but it was a warm evening. And like, just looking up at the stars, it was a full moon, a beautiful evening. And like, wow, that's a miracle that I don't, you know, notice every day. And just, yeah. you, you can see miracles every day if you choose mm-hmm. to. It's just a choice. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we, at least when I was doing this research, I, I felt a little discouraged and annoyed by that, that it was a choice. I wanted celebration to be easy. And like I said earlier, I wanted there to be a reason to celebrate. But 
we fail to recognize that there's so much empowerment when it's a choice and that when we can cultivate, you know, a beautiful life is a beautiful life with God where we are. It's not one that's built with our own dreams or built, you know, like I said, on the far side of a goal achieved or a dream realized. A beautiful life is living the life you have with God and engaging with Him in both your suffering and your celebration. And when you choose that, there's so much joy available to you. I'm sitting here thinking about like a blade of grass, the way yes. a plant reproduces mm-hmm. itself from the tiniest seed. It is all amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The change of seasons. I mean, you and I could sit here all day and name miracles that are true without even, you know, moving from this spot right now. And we so seldom walk through life with that perspective. And again, that doesn't mean that we don't also acknowledge what hurts and bring that to God because there's not that we're going to call a hard thing good, but there's also joy available to us in in sharing our hurt with our father and the ways that we can grow through seasons that look like that. So this is not a denial of what's hard and what hurts, but something we can do in the midst of it, regardless of what your circumstances look like. Yeah. I love it that you talk about that way too. It's not like, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and put on your Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) We don't do that here. Yeah. But you know, it's all just real and it's all, there's just so much joy to be found. And I love that you um, are taking the time to teach yourself and others and I definitely took a lot of notes, so I'm excited about this. I'm so glad, friend. All right. So walking forward, you gave us a lot of great tools. Obviously, you have the book. How can we, maybe like the first step of kind of redefining our mind and just starting to notice the wonderful in the everyday? Yeah, I think that noticing and naming is a good first step. And there's more joy to be had beyond that. but I think. When you you find what you look for, you know, when you are maybe shopping for a new car or you like a certain car and it feels like all of a sudden everyone on the freeway is driving that car. (laughs) And it's not true that thousands of people went out and bought that car overnight as you started thinking about it. But because it's on our minds, our minds will notice what we look for. And so we are the same way with everything in our lives. So again, not that we're not going to acknowledge what hurts, but we are going to find what we look for and being able to name what is good will help us see what is good and help us see how God is moving, even if it's not what we originally thought we wanted. It gives us an openness to his provision instead of keeping our eyes so fixed on on our own vision that we miss the miracles and the way that he is moving. So I think noticing and naming is a great first step to that process. I love it. The alliteration. That's very helpful. Yes. It's helpful for me too. <laughs> Helps me remember. This is really practical and really helpful. Tell us how we can find your resources. I'm sure your book is on Amazon, all the places and how we can get more information. Yep. Buy the book wherever you like to buy books, but certainly it's on Amazon. I love to connect with readers and listeners. I really try to respond to every message. I'm sure I don't do that perfectly, but feel free to reach out. 
You can find me on my website, Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, and then Z is in zebra, A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com. And I'm just at Nicole Zazowski on Instagram. That's the social media platform I hang out the most, but I'm certainly on Facebook too. We will have all of that in the show notes as well. Great, Um, great. Nicole, I always like to ask our guests before we let them go, if you could have coffee with your 20-year-old self, what would you say? Oh, what a great question. Oh, that makes me teary. (laughs) So many things I would tell that sweet girl. (sighs) Give me a minute. You're fine. I I think, (laughs) oh, it's just like flooding. Your brain's like, pick me, pick me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's too many, too many ideas saying that. I think it sounds so commonplace, but what I would want her to know more than anything is she's loved where she is, not where she will be someday. And she, meaning she will also be loved where she is someday too. But I think she was just always assuming that she would be more loved if she could add the right thing to her life, the right title, the right boyfriend, husband, job. And she's just as loved right right as she is there than she will be when all those things happen, if or when all those things happen. So that's what I would want her to know. You have purpose before your person or before your job, before your whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Shauna Nequist, you are significant with or without a significant other is what she says on most Valentine's days. I think that's such a brilliant way of putting it and, and a more specific version of what I'm talking about. I you know, but I think Shauna Nequist. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But I think that applies to, I know it applies to anything, whether we're hoping for a certain job title or, you know, somebody to notice us, uh, somebody to appreciate us. I think we're significant regardless of whether we receive those things. So. Amen. My single 20 somethings out there, right somewhere where you can see it, you are significant and there are miracles everywhere. <laughs> yes. Amen. Amen. It's so true. Well, thank you, Nicole, for being here. I'm so excited to share this episode and so excited to get to know you more. Oh, same. Thanks for this conversation. It was a special one. I'm so glad. I'm over here giving you a virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Would you help a sister out and take a screenshot right wherever you're listening and share it on your social? Give me a tag at Katie Bulmer Life so I can give you a big thank you. You sharing it, you leaving your reviews on iTunes is the best possible compliment you can give. Hey, let's continue to hang out. We have a private community called Truth For Your 20s over on Facebook. So just go to groups, search Truth For Your 20s and come join the party.